0: Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about
1: storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of
2: strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the point? This comes at the most fright. Dear third year geography student, I have just spent many hours submerged in the world that lives inside your heads that you have unleashed and submitted for these assignments, and I am coming out for a breather. I was not able to give you all personal feedback because despite the wild amounts of racism and white superiority pouring out of your papers that I have so neatly alphabetized, it was not the assignment's intention for you to really see how you were doing anyway. That is not your fault, third years. I sit down to read this latest assignment, a quick in-class, watch this movie and make any sort of connection sort of assignment. I put on a playlist I love and I let it blast through my computer speakers. I sit alone in my office, and when I am not distraught from your responses, I dance away in my chair. Welcome to my Saturday night. For six hours, you are my only company. You do not make for good company. (laughs) I know, I know your lives are more than just this document I have marked up in blue pen. I read your assignments and I imagine what your lives are like outside these narrow margins. You obviously didn't do the readings, and in their stead, I imagine you living the life I never had. Choosing not to do school, to spend time with real friends, making real relationships, maybe just catching up on sleep or your favorite show. It's not your fault that I didn't live a life outside of school. That I wasn't more than my grades, my assignments, my weight. It is not your fault that I envy you and that it makes it hard to see straight. It is not your fault that with every wrong answer I picture another distant, perfect moment. That I am forced to come to terms with the fact that I have lost those moments. That I don't know what coming to terms with that even means. That that with every wrong answer I mourn the life I never had. And on most days, especially the sleepless nights, I imagine I never will. If it's my fault, the mental illness is no one's fault, it doesn't matter. My undergrad was different from how I picture yours. In between your could-not-be-more-wrong responses and imaginings of a life I do not live, I'm drawn back to my own third year. Fall semester. Finals. Although my family and I never really discussed my anxiety, we hadn't put that all-encompassing label on it yet. I must have recognized something was going on because for the first time I was taking fewer courses than normal. This for the girl who didn't take a spare in high school might have been an indicator. It is not unusual for me to call my parents in tears, more and more frequently of late, but tonight, today, something is different. I have never heard of a true panic attack before. I have never yet recognized that inability to breathe the racing heart, the uncontrollable sobbing. My parents are in different places, and not knowing what to do, they maneuver a conference call between all three of us. The two of them are confused as they try to decipher what is going on from the, un- from the unintelligible sounds and sobs I am powerless to restrain. I am the good student. I am well-behaved. I do what I am told. I follow instructions. It is alarming for all of us that I cannot follow the instructions most critical now. Stop crying. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Go write your exam. Once or twice I think I can manage. I think I can choose to be okay. And we all hang up. Only I can't. And my body paralyzes anew. My legs give up on me and I fall in the cramped bathroom stall I've shoved myself in. Careful not to take up too much space. Careful not to let anyone see how I feel. Eventually I admit defeat. In this fight, me against my body, me against my anxiety, I lose. I couldn't follow the instructions. I leave the washroom stall, but I cannot escape this. I move gingerly, wounded towards the doctor's office. The doctor gives me an unconvincing note for an unconvincing story that I make up. Something about all the puke. I don't dare tell her that for once this is a lie. I don't dare tell her that she is the first clinician I've ever mentioned puking and problem together. I fear if I tell her the truth, she will tell me to suck it up, that that this is not a valid excuse. I fear it is not a valid excuse that I should have sucked it up. I say none of this, and instead I feebly lie about all the puke. The room still spins and my heart still races. Nobody buys my story. The doctor doesn't ask me if I'm okay, and I don't tell her that I'm not. It is months before my very first therapist tells me that what I had was a panic attack. It is months still that I realize that I have had many before, moments where I've told myself I should have sucked it up. It is not as if I'm new to stress. I'm not, but I have a way, one way of coping. I have a release valve for when things get to be too much, for when these pesky emotions threaten to boil over. But it didn't work this time. My coping mechanism, my my eating disorder, it's supposed to work. My eating disorder therapist three years later will tell me my anxiety and unstable mood, these panic attacks, that they will improve with treatment. They call my coping mechanisms symptoms and say they actually make it harder for me to think straight, to regain my calm after the storm. We find out together that my depression and anxiety are not because of the eating disorder. Eating disorders often have friends. The, The therapists, the books, the help groups, they all tell me that. It seems both myself and the eating disorder are lousy at choosing company. It is not your fault, third year geography student, that I spent my third year in such anxiety and with such a familiar and dangerous means of coping. It is not your fault that I didn't have a choice to do the fun things I see you do instead of school. It is not your fault I see your poor grades as a reflection of your perfect life and not the possibility that you had the same third year I had. It only makes sense for a library seated for hundreds of caffeinated and nervous students have two washroom stalls on every other floor. This meant that my third year was spent strategizing on how to have one with privacy. The handicapped washroom on the fourth floor, the abandoned washrooms on the second. Careful not to let anyone see how I feel. Careful not to let anyone see how I cope. It meant countless other decisions, choices made that I didn't know I was making, that I didn't get to make. Looking back, As I do with each of your assignments, every wrong answer, I am too often filled with the sadness that comes from realizing how much I gave up. A sadness that comes from reliving those moments and seeing over and over again how differently my life could have been. If I had real friends that I could talk to, if the ones I had told had cared enough to listen, if I had known that I couldn't just suck it up, that I needed and deserved help, if I hadn't changed the topic and all those uncomfortable jokes made about my body by strangers, teachers, and friends. It is not your fault that the way you frame choice stings me. That every time you say that if them poor Africans would maybe just get jobs, maybe they wouldn't be so goddamn poor. Maybe if they knew how precious you think the environment is, they wouldn't cut down trees to build their homes or fuel their stoves. That if they would only choose to be happier, choose to be less poor, if they would just choose to fix their problems, then all of this would go away. It is not your fault that I share that voice, that every time you frame choice that way, I have to fight harder and harder against the voice in my head that tells me that if I had just chosen to try harder, chosen to not be sick, then I wouldn't have to be where I am. The playlist I listen to while I repeatedly transport between your present responses and my past missed opportunities is one that I made for my housemates in my last semester of undergrad. I had finally made the friends that I had wanted to make all the years prior. I had finally found someone, just one, that I could talk to about both of our struggles with eating disorders. I look back at that semester by far some of the happiest four months of my life. And I think, if only I had done something different, if I had made different choices, maybe I could have had this the whole time.
0: So, we just heard a story from Maya Frommstein, uh, which, which she told us that story at our, we believe, July event. We've actually had a bunch of July events recently in this podcast.
1: Well, maybe it's because it's January and we would hope it's July. That's
0: a good point. It was a lovely, lovely evening, actually. I remember sitting out on the porch that evening. It was it was beautiful.
1: You wouldn't be sitting out on any porches tonight.
0: No. No, it is way, way too cold to do that. Uh, your beer would freeze, actually. You know, can't can't hang on a porch or a patio uh, when it's negative ten or whatever it is. Although you know, even though we
1: had a very, we've had
0: a very, very uh, mild winter
1: so far. So far,
0: it might be maybe maybe this is the turning point.
1: I just blame climate change.
0: Yeah, there we go. There
1: we go. <laughs> oh, that didn't that didn't. I thought that would you would be off
0: on that. Yeah. It be off on a massive rant about about how weather isn't climate. Yes. Uh, I could, but I feel like that's, you know, I have a whole different podcast to do that rant on.
1: That's right. Well, maybe we could do a crossover episode at some point. There we go. Well, like, yeah. if everyone
0: is listening to this podcast and wants to hear my voice even more often, check out The Green Majority.
1: Oh, that was a nice little plug that Thank you threw you. in there. Right? So uh, we heard uh, Maya's wonderful story. Yes. And what uh, w- w- what's the... The, the thing the hook that we're talking about today.
0: yeah well today we're trying to talk about the, the use of the second person mm-hmm. uh, because when Maya first pulled the story it was actually entirely second person
1: yeah uh, it was literally
0: just a letter she wrote uh, to her student uh, and it became she sort of fleshed it out a little more and it became a little less like that but there's still that's still a good portion of the of the feeling
1: uh-huh. um, and, and, we're talking about, and
0: the second person is a very interesting dynamic.
1: It's tough. It is tough to pull I, off. I think it's th- I think it actually, the, the times that it has come into uh, stories we don't tell the, the event, I think it works because, uh, to me, it's hard to sustain over mm. a long period of time. So, you know, we're doing seven to ten-minute stories, so you can kind of get in and get out without, uh, without it, you know, where it works. It's yeah. good because it's tough. Yeah, there aren't a lot of novels written in second person. No.
0: Uh, and, and, and I think often you find second person being used in, in, in either a letter form, mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Usually it's, usually it's a sort of a, uh, it's, it, usually it's the person, the way to get in and out of it, of course, is a letter mm-hmm. or something like that, right? The, the way to get in and out of, of second person and sometimes tell a whole story is mm-hmm. to have, you sort of have a part of it where you're actually talking directly to somebody. Yeah. Uh, and you and I have different feelings of actually how, uh, uh, of, of what second person can do. So let's start with your, how you feel it, 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 it impacts the
1: story. Well, and I think it, it uh, to me, in terms of the audience, it really to me it brings the audience into more into uh, the the story because you're. It's almost like the storyteller has turned the audience into the person that they're the story is about or who they're they're talking to, and um, it to me it's much more effective because it's almost like you're they're talking directly to you in a way.
0: Hmm. What's interesting about that is I I also think it does draw you in. As soon as I hear a you, I do sort of lean in a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, But I almost argue it's for the exact opposite reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that I think as soon as you start a you conversation, um, I start thinking that I'm overhearing a conversation they really want to be having with someone else and one other person. Uh, And so it becomes an intimate conversation between this person and someone else, not me. Yeah, I sort of got a bystander effect a little bit
1: so because you know We've talked about on the podcast before and I know we've we've all talked about it quite a bit is the idea that uh, A lot of times if somebody is telling a story that is very uh, serious or vulnerable uh, a Lot of times the people in the audience we we do find are it's like they're almost putting their own experience uh, If something similar has happened to them you know, it's uh, they're kind of thinking about their own experience in a way. But do you feel that with the second person, it doesn't have that? Like it's kind of you're at a distance a little bit.
0: Not so much a distance, uh, because I think I, I still, honestly, I, part of me, I I identify even more with the person using the you. I'm a still I'm still the storyteller. I'm not the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does, I think, opens up. It opens up the ability for the storyteller to be much more directly personal and mm-hmm. much more. Uh, open about sort of their feelings in a way that if they did it in the I form, it would get boring.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because me saying I feel vulnerable is boring. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm s- describing to someone else, if I'm saying like, you, you, you know, when you do this, this is how I feel, that's action. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually allows you to sort of be more direct in your own motion, emotional state, uh, without it becoming a sort of just a monologue mm-hmm. of your own feelings, which of course is in part, always the, the attempt you're trying not to
1: do. Well, it, it's also uh, when I, cause I've done that in, in, in one or two stories and and I find what it does. And I, especially I think in Maya's case is to almost have a conversation with somebody that you can't, like you wouldn't have that conversation. Right, yeah. So it's kind of a, a a really unique position to put yourself in as a storyteller. And I think that you can do a lot of, um, you know, it's... You're you can have more your imagination and things like that could could come into play a little bit more.
0: Yeah, well, and and in Maya's story, like she's just trashing this kid, right? <laughs> like, the, the, yeah. Part of the story is just how annoyed she is at the
1: student for being a
0: bad student. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not a particular student in the story; it's more of a conglomerate of sort of annoyances of her own life. But um, but the other part about that is it gives her the opportunity to sort of also add a bit of humor in place in places that wouldn't would be really difficult to add in humor mm-hmm. uh, in, you know in that she's sort of playing off her annoyances with the student with these really deeply personal reflections of her of you know of, of life when she was an undergrad and that uh, again, because of the effective use of second person, she can both do that and then be funny right afterwards because mm-hmm. you know it's like you know it's not your fault, you're an idiot. Uh, i'm you know, like i 'm projecting on you really the whole thing is really uh, basically about how she 's projecting on someone mm-hmm. um, and this you know this non existent student uh, and and then using that as a platform to sort of go through sort of her own personal history of undergrad mm-hmm. and and that you device allows to sort of keep the action moving in a in a very direct way and also but also allows her to still ground herself in the present mm-hmm. uh and it's in a, in a way that you wouldn 't always necessarily be able to
1: do. Well, that's what I was thinking when you're talking is that is the tricky part of it is that, uh, you know, if you're telling a story about something that happened in the past, you're using a certain you're talking about it in a certain way. And also, you know, again, as we said before, you're you're standing up in front of everybody and you're so you're OK, like everybody can right. sort of see that you're OK. But just that the 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 way that you use the the second person it brings it into a place where also you, you know, you're almost talking about things as they're happening or you're explaining or it, when when i have in my own experience mm-hmm. with it is it becomes much more, a little diceier sometimes when you're listening to it even.
0: Yeah, well, because you have to accept that if you're saying you in sort of a letter form, in a way you can jump back and forth, mm-hmm. there has to be a present tense who's saying you, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and, and so if you're telling a story with a you, with a you subject, the 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 current state you has to be the person in the room to some extent mm-hmm. and it can't be the you back there mm-hmm. uh, and Maya does actually a very good job in this story of actually bringing it back to current her, uh, and her and and then and then you start using that to sort of wrap up with an excellent sort of punchline punchy ending mm-hmm. but it's again but you have to understand that you can't end to the past tense to some extent if you're using you mm-hmm. uh, because then it's not resolved it's mm-hmm. resolved when people understand who is standing in front of them mm-hmm. not not who is not not who is saying you know who who you were when you were using the you talking about it You can't end in that sentence.
1: Mm. So you said you did say You said earlier that that you you do when you hear um, Somebody using this this tense that you do You know lean in or you perk up a little bit Do you find though that it's it is it could be generally just it could be distracting sometimes to some people?
0: I think you could I, I think it really depends on the audience member to an yeah. extent. And it and, and also depends on how you use it, right? I think as long as you are being clear about who the you is, if someone's constantly trying to figure out who the you is, mm-hmm. you know, I love to keep the audience guessing for a while, but you have to be really effective. Uh, to be able to get someone to really to not be confused mm-hmm. uh, with if you don't make it obvious who the U is, so you know in, in this case Maya's is like dear student you, and you're like okay great she's talking to a student now I'm I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you just say if you start with you and never leave, and it's you're the person spending their entire time trying to guess where who this person is, mm-hmm. if that's the point of the story, then go for it. But it, it, it will keep the person from being in the moment because mm-hmm. they won't know what the moment is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there it's so it is definitely tricky in if you if you don't really overtly understand who the you is mm-hmm. uh, early on and, you know it can be used effectively if you're going to keep people off balance the whole time but if you're trying to get uh, someone to emotionally connect with you or the person they're talking to uh, you have to
1: you have to accept that mm-hmm. no i refresh my memory because i'm i'm an old man and i have a bad memory you have a much <laughs> better one than i do is that it were, I can remember. Did you say at the beginning that she was that this was always like that? Like the sto- she brought in the story with this tense, right? Yeah. So it, it was it was kind of interesting that that seemed to be the right decision, I think, because mm-hmm. st- of the way the 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 great story that we heard at the beginning of this episode that it was pretty set from the beginning because deci- you're making a decision you know, when you are using that tense and it seemed to um, just make sense for the story.
0: Yeah, and I think the big difference actually between the, the first thing she brought and what, what we just heard was that the, I think in what we really said in the feedback we gave was you had to bring yourself into it. Uh, mm. It was really a story to someone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it wasn't so much, you know, it was expressing her frustrations now, but it wasn't, you couldn't necessarily feel as much of her own presence within the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas by the time you got to this story, it's like, this makes, it it works in all the ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was, but, and so, uh, it was always it did always have some you mm-hmm. uh, because that was the sort of how it was originally crafted because uh, it was you know in some sense crafted out of it the, the the first version actually was hilarious but it was just an essay it was right. a it was a hilarious essay about about your frustrations of a grad student yeah uh, and then and then sort of and sort of evolved into into this piece
1: mm-hmm. you know it's funny because it, how so interesting to me how sometimes you can you know like you're saying you to that she needed to bring herself in a little bit, but it's so interesting that you're taught how it can go two ways when you're talking about somebody or if you're talking to somebody else in this kind of way is that that can be a deflection and you could be Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm just going to like put, it's all about this person or you're projecting it in that way. Or it could go the other way, which I think she did really, really well is that the more you talk to about somebody almost the more it reveals about, the person that's speaking is they, what we've been yeah, saying, basically.
0: They become a foil to some uh-huh. extent, yeah. And yeah. I think the only the only concern I would have on this on that front, and I think Maya doesn't even come close to this because the person she's talking to is a, you know is a faceless student and not not something close to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other things I've written, uh, if you are writing from a you perspective, you can start. Writing actually to that person and mm-hmm. not for the audience mm-hmm. and then you presume they know a lot about you that they don't
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, And so you can write a piece that you know to you makes sense and if it you actually sent it as a letter It might make sense to them, but as a piece They're gonna read this and people are gonna listen to it and be like
1: I'm missing something well because I uh, With with a I've very deliberately I don't go into second person very much because it is I think it is very it's tough but I had done. I, I I did a story about a an uh, it was an ex of mine, and it was more of an opportunity. It, it was like at the end, I kind of said, "Oh well, this is the things that I wanted to say to this person," and I used it try, to try and like deliberately, you know, I set up who this person was to everybody, and then switched into this. So I'm talking to them specifically to just set up, you know, to try and create some kind of an intimate moment between this person that I've been talking about and me for the audience in a way.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the, that's the way to use second person, mm-hmm. uh, th- is that it, use the person as a way, to, as a foil and as an expression, as an advice, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, to really tell a story about you. Cause as soon as you're telling a story about someone else, uh, you know, then you're writing a story, but it's not, it's not your story. It's not yeah. a personal story. It's not what we're doing, at least with these, uh, with these stories that we're telling now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if you're using the person in sort of any other way than that, uh, I would say maybe consider how you're using it. Yeah. But really, really as a, it's, it's an interesting and can be very, very effective way uh, of, of having a chance to sort of reflect your own self Mm -hmm. in them.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. I think that was, I I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Uh,
0: Thank you for listening,
1: everybody. Uh, this has been Paul. Yes, and this is Stefan. <laughs> because we didn't, we forgot to introduce ourselves at the beginning. That's true. That's okay. Yeah,
0: I'm sure, I hope people will slowly forgive us one for out.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and thank you for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business.
2: You can like us at facebook.com slash
0: we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast.
2: You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca.
0: This episode of Stories I Want to Tell was brought to you by negative temperatures. Negative temperatures. Because sometimes you want to see your breath.